0: I mean, I don't don't normally (laughs) swear that much. I don't know why it just came out of me like that. It's because someone told you
1: not to.
2: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Dodgeball Podcast. In this episode, we're going to recap the events of the 8th Annual Seattle Classic, which took place this past weekend. Here to help me cover what took place is Lucas Boyle, Alan Thomas, and Britt Daughtry. Guys, thank you so much for being willing to hop on and spend some of your evening with me. I'm really looking forward to discussing the events of what took place. So uh, what we'll do is we'll go ahead and we'll start with Lucas. Um... Why don't you go ahead and just real quick give me your name, the team that you played for during the tournament, and um, what role you had for the tournament overall.
0: Hi, this is Lucas Boyle. I played for Not Safe for Work. Um, my goal was to ruin Alan Thomas's day, and I was also the
2: event organizer. Nice. And uh, Alan, why don't you go ahead?
1: Hi, uh, I'm Alan Thomas. I played on Rain Bros for this tournament. Uh, we were the champions, and
3: I did not help organize.
2: Nice. And uh, Britt?
3: Hey, I'm Britt Daughtry. Uh, This um, tournament I played with Chicago Task Force, and uh, actually half our team was not even from Chicago, and so my role on the team, I filled in for the ladies that weren't there. Um, All of our ladies were from the Northwest, so yeah, we were there to uh, catch some balls and kick some butt.
2: (laughs) Nice. Well, cool. Well. Again, I appreciate you guys for for joining me, and let's just uh, dive right in. So, um, one of the first questions that I had uh, for you, Lucas, was: What's the origin of this tournament? It, it's the eighth one, but but what is the Seattle Classic exactly?
0: Yeah, I think the first one was in two thousand and eleven. Um, this was really the first like competitive uh, event in Seattle dodgeball history. Um, At that time, we had, like, two major, like, pickup scenes. And so this was, like, a way for those two scenes to, like, make teams and kind of duke it out for, like, dodgeball supremacy in the city. Um, It was also the first time that we, like, interacted with uh, players outside of the city. So um, teams from Portland started coming up um, and playing with us. And uh, uh, so this event was kind of, like, uh, a lot of exposure for players um, inside of the pickup scenes in seattle to like meet other pickup players across town and also like the portlanders um i i think uh, i think the first five years six years let's see one two three four five five first five years um teams from oregon won the championship including uh beaver Dam nation who was like a uh, a bunch of dodgeball players from Oregon State University, and they also played a ton of NDL dodgeball. Um, they came and won it three times in the first five years. Um, there was a, another team, Thronan the Barbarians, who is from Recess Time, uh, Portland dodgeball, and uh, they will be forever legends in Seattle because they just mopped the floor with everyone there. They were incredible. Um, and uh, I think the other champion in that first five years was uh, Dodgy Style which is another um, I guess um, legendary Portland team and uh, they, they crushed it they, they came from kind of the lower seed to win it and they won decisively um, so yeah the classic has been kind of like the I guess I don't know Bert and Alan could chime in on this but it's been kind of like the competitive pinnacle of of uh, dodgeball in the Northwest, but at the same time, kind of managing to maintain some of the fun and community aspects of dodgeball.
1: Right, where were you when this was, when you first played in the classic? Like, where were you in your dodgeball career?
3: Um, well, this is my third classic. And um, I mean, I started off foam and then I transitioned to rubber. And I would say that my first classic was very early on in my rubber career. And it's incredible, and it was the it has always been the highlight of my year for dodgeball. And I would say that until um, Portlanders and Seattle people started doing elite, that this was the tournament to go to every year.
1: I definitely agree with that. When I played in my first one, when I was still on Street Fighters, it was at the time I first went the biggest tournament I'd ever gone to. And you know, the first time you played was with me the year before mm-hmm. that I got second and then we got fourth and then we got second again when we played together. So we have, <laughs> we've been in the top when we've played. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a big tournament for us for sure.
0: So I have a, I have a question for you guys. This is Lucas speaking to the two Portlanders. Like what's kind of the, um, what's like the perception of the classic in Portland? Like what, what kind of players from the Portland scene, like look like play, participate in it. And, um, how is it uh, perceived? from uh, from my perspective here the,
1: the classic because it's been around so long isn't just a draw for like the current super hardcore elite players, but you also see the players like Sofa and Shar who you know they don't play all the nights we have to play they don't play all the leagues we have to play, but they make a point to come to this tournament every year because they've been doing it so long and they love it.
3: Yeah, it's extremely fun, and I think you can convince almost anyone from the Portland dodgeball scene, or at least the rubber scene, to come up to Seattle, because they're going to have a good time, and it's a great product. Um, It's going to be one of the best tournaments you're going to participate in, for sure.
0: Nice. Yeah, I think the first, like, three years um, I was involved, I was not an event organizer, but what I did was I hosted like a player draft. So like I was responsible for creating like a free agent player pool, and out of that we would create like all of the Seattle teams, and uh, which was super fun. Except that we got shamed. So I think that at like a certain point we were like, God, shame. Oh, sorry, oh. Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> we like, so Why don't we make all star teams so we can protect the title from the Portlanders and? it It took us, you know, many years to actually make that happen, Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely like it's it's a lot of fun to host the tournament, and it's so much fun when um, it was so much fun to meet all the Portland dodgeballers, and it took like you know a few years before like adversaries became friends, and um, kind of all of that silly like friction like worked itself out of our system. But now we're getting to experience that with like the teams that are coming down from uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, and Surrey, Canada, and, um, and even over the last few years, uh, Fury came up from the Bay Area, um, uh, Nate Kreider and Payan came with Rolina and Ryan Morris last year, and um, Kelly... It has come up here. Billy Schmidt came up with Bangerang a few years with Eric Jones and Don Leon. There's been a, there's been like a, a nice who's who of cameos from like some of the best players in the West um, at this tournament. So it's always fun to kind of like see who's going to come this year. And this year, Task Force like blessed us with their presence.
2: <laughs> nice, all the way out from uh, Chicago, right? <clears throat> yeah. Very cool. And what are they? What, what what are you guys playing for? Is it money, medals, pride? Uh, is there it's just for fun? Is there like a specific prize that's associated with this?
1: I would say yeah, a, it's, a couple of those things. Go. Sorry I, to speak for <laughs> you, Lucas. You when you won it, you were playing for the pride of your city <laughs> to, to win that back from the Portland teams all those years. And it, this came up in the recent episode. You may know Lucas from the the Book of Dodgeball with David Tate's and uh, his most uh, probably his most prideful win, at least from what I've seen of him was when they first won the classic.
2: Yeah, you cried, didn't you?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I remember, oh yeah. I'm. <laughs> I've, I've been uh, teaching for the last few years, and and I'm very honest with my students. I'm like, so I say, hey, I play a lot of dodgeball, and and uh, when I show them the photo of me crying. I, I say, hey, this is me crying after I won the most important tournament of my life, and you don't know, want this to be a classroom where you're comfortable being emotional or whatever you know like Hmm. i'm very proud of that moment and uh, i'm you know i'll always remember it joyfully what uh but uh yeah okay to go to your question um there's never been a cash prize um there's always there's always been um I think this year was uh, the exception. We didn't have uh, too many awesome things. But in the past, we've had some really cool, like, artists in our community make awards. Um, One of the awards that is handed down year to year is, like, a leather kind of almost, like, pro wrestling-style championship belt. Nice. uh, That, like, a leather artist made for us. It's incredible. Um, One year, um, one of our guys, like, chiseled like numbers into like solid steel and like cut it out into puzzle pieces that were then turned into necklaces and like each player on like the first second and third place teams got a puzzle piece that like went into it so there's always been a lot of like creativity and um and we also give out like diplomas that look like like high school or college diplomas to the champions, and they get their names signed on them, and it, and it looks all official and silly and fun. And yeah, there's a lot of good spirit. There's no cash. It's definitely like glory, Dodge glory, and storytelling fodder for years to come. For
1: My sure. two favorite prizes were uh, sim- similar to the puzzle piece, but one year, uh, Mark Fassi made a bottle opener, and it was like a, like a six inch long slab of metal that he carved SDC and then like second for the second place. We were second place that year. And then on the end, it had the little cutout for a bottle opener and you can <clears throat> pop a bottle cap off with it. It was awesome. And then that same year, I won the Joust and my prize was a hand-me-down second expansion of Cards Against Humanity.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about you, Britt? Have you had any, any good takeaways from your experience playing? Trophy-wise um, or...?
3: You mean in terms of, well, I would say that uh, one thing that you get out of this tournament that is incredible is amazing photography. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody changes their profile pic about halfway through the week after the Seattle Classic because they just do amazing action shots. And so when you come the Classic, you're almost guaranteed to have just an epic picture waiting for you <laughs> halfway through the week and that you're just going to covet for... Probably the rest of the year because it's it's going to just show you in your best form playing dodgeball.
1: In the past years, I can't say enough about how great Tino Tran photography has done. Just mm-hmm. like you said, epic shots of of the action of the game.
0: Cool. Yeah, I, I think for the longest time, like the photos from the classic were like the best dodgeball photos anywhere in the world. Like mm-hmm. they were incredible. And he actually moved out of state this year, and so. It was so heartbreaking, but um, the photos are coming in, so we'll see how they look this year.
2: Nice. Um, and so, Lucas, you've been playing in this tournament the longest, right? Did I hear that correctly?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: When did you start playing?
0: The first one was in uh, 2011. Um, okay. But I was playing... Pick, I, I've been playing for a few years before that, so I've been playing since
2: 2007. Gotcha. I'm glad you mentioned the what do you call it, that broken metal thing with necklace, because I have one. I don't know if you guys knew this, but I played in the 2013 <sighs> classic. That's right. So yep. I was trying to find a picture, because you're you're right, Britt. Um, I I do have my epic photo, and it's a picture of me uh, when I played with Damnation with um, Patrick Goodman. And we were, I think it was, it might have been the finals of the game prior, and there's just something about, um, oh, I found it probably is not going to do any good for the audio version, but, um, yeah, I just wanted to echo, like, that's uh, that's one of those things, like, oh, man, I I love this photo, because it's got, in the background, you can see uh, Brandon Cook. Uh, I'm just trying to see if I can find, like, another cameo of, like, Lucas maybe back there. But um, when I played in that tournament, and uh, I don't want to, like, offend anybody, but when I heard about it, I thought it was just, like, a fun recreational tournament, because Kevin Pack had sold it to me the year prior saying, oh, it's like this great event, there's all these players, it's competitive, you have great music, you have some funny DJs and MCs and whatnot, and it just sounded like a really awesome event. And when I played in 2013, sure enough, it definitely was. Um, and I remember um, this team from Seattle beat us, and I was just so shocked that I did not expect that to happen. And I wonder if you guys might remember who, uh, what team that would have been um, Maybe that's more of a question for you, Luca. It's kind of a segue, but... Yeah, uh, you know
0: what? Um, I have a couple questions, actually, for you. Steve, like, you know what came up this year is, like, teams were looking for free agents, like, up until the last minute, and someone was, like... Hey, like Stephen Damon from Portland is looking for a team, and like from people Portland. still remember you from that tournament. Like they all assume that you're from Portland because you played on uh, Beaver Dam Oh,
2: that's funny. so like
0: uh, your your name came out, and I just laughed and laughed and laughed, and I was like, oh, I got to share that with him when we talk.
2: <laughs> nice. I hope people still think I'm from uh, Portland, just for, just a, for fun. a
0: couple other things I wanted to say that um, we've done that kind of like I think add to the character of the tournament is. Um, one of our organizers Matthew Brennan is like a performance artist and has a lot of friends who are performers and um, one of the things they do is they are like pro wrestling announcers like in the Seattle Mm -hmm. scene and so those guys used to sit courtside and they didn't know they didn't know much about dodgeball but they were entertainers and they would they would do the oh my gosh he got (laughs) slammed with the ball like and they would just do play by play for the semifinals and the finals and um it definitely kind of keeps the audience engaged, and um, and uh, I think another another one of my favorite awards, which I was super pissed that I didn't win, but um, we made these like punk jackets. We made like jean jackets for the entire championship team, and I designed like logos for every team that didn't have a logo, and we screen printed onto like canvas patches, and we like cut them out and sewed them. Uh, Whitney Pittman, shout out to you. She sewed like many, many hours of patches on these jean jackets. And so each champion player got a jean jacket. And uh, that is one of the awards that I wish that I had won, because I would have rocked that with pride.
2: That's Mm -hmm. awesome. But
0: Steve, my question to you is, how did you end up on that team?
2: Oh, man. Long story short, um, I've just known Kevin for a very long time and like since 06, and so without getting too into my personal life I was dating somebody that was familiar with them and so that's kind of how I met Kevin Pack and all them. And we just had that mutual passion for for dodgeball and he just told me you should come up and play with Damnation for a little bit. And it was cool to kind of just break away from uh, Team Evil and, and Tucson for a little bit and just try something new and so seattle traveling up there didn't seem like a bad idea so i went for it and uh had a blast and always enjoyed playing with uh with the oregon guys and it's always fun seeing uh james um, alston when he comes down for elite it's good seeing brandon and um still like one of the few ogs out there still waiting for the day that uh kevin pack might join the elite craze so i'm kind of hoping for that to happen
1: let me tell you we tried
2: I think everybody's tried. Uh, This is a a low-key way of me trying to just tell Kevin (laughs) 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 Elite needs his falcon punch. Call me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. But, uh, yeah, just kind of a... What's up?
0: I have found out who the team was that beat you, and it was a Portland team. You guys lost in the championship, and that was to Dodgy Style.
2: Dodgy Style. They were probably one of
0: the more, like notorious champions of this tournament. Mm. Notorious is a good way to put it. Your uh, piano edit uh, over that final is amazing. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but, Steve, I guess one of the things we could talk about is maybe what the rules are, because I think now that Elite is kind of standardizing um, eight, eight rubber 8.5 rules, For um, even I like noticed how... like. You know, wonky some of our roles were this year. But um, historically, we've played um, 23 foot throw lines. Um, The courts, every season up until this year, have been like 70 feet wide. So there's been like a 20. Something foot neutral zone, so there's just like a huge neutral zone. There's there's been back walls on both sides, so you get a lot of rebounds. There's a lot of like sloppy, messy play. Um, One of the big variations that we have up here in the northwest is when when a ball hits you, you're you're kind of a dead player walking. So you've got to catch or save that ball before you can do anything else, and that. That's a big difference from kind of the elite rule, which is you're not dead until that first ball dies. Right. Um, we also play with like soft boundaries, so you can like step on boundary lines as long as you're not completely over them. Um, headshots are standing. Headshots are illegal. Um, like active stance is illegal. Um, if it's not clear, we're gonna call it a headshot. Um, I think this year we we were slapping like beer garden bracelets on anyone who got a headshot, and if you got like four headshots he in the day, you were he won. What's that, Britt?
3: Oh, if you threw a headshot, not if you got them, because I would have had a few wrist rounds if it was for how many oh. headshots you received. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was kind of like uh, you were being scolded. You were sent to the organizers' table to get a beer garden wristband and. And later on, everyone knew you had the mark of shame on you. Um, <laughs> but, but uh, I, I don't know. I don't think anyone got more than like one or two. So that, that you know, that worked out. But yeah. Good. So the rules are uh, they kind of evolved as the event evolved. But I think next year we might kind of transition to a lot of the elite rules just for simplicity's sake and keep everyone's brains from exploding from switching from so many rule sets all the time.
2: No, yeah, but that's fine, making that switch, that transition. Um, cool. So, I mean, it, it's it's still fun sounding, but it's, it's getting a little more competitive, and gone are the days where, like, I'm the only person that's coming out of town. I, I mean, people all the way from Chicago are showing up, and you're getting some more Arizona and LA pool and whatnot. So it uh, sounds like next year's probably going to be more of the same, but um, let's go ahead and kind of just talk about the teams, um, and maybe, Alan, you can start with this one. Um, were there any teams that stood out from your perspective?
1: uh i actually thought that a couple did yeah the osu team has been coming for years there's kind of so i mean there's kind of an evolution of osu teams we all know beaver damnation i mean beavers in the name then for a while there was beaver salvation which was kind of like the second younger generation team but for the last couple years there's there's been the osu dodgeball club which is kind of the current kids that are going there and maybe like you know one or two alums from pretty recent and this year I thought they really in the bracket especially they really stepped their games up and um, some I mean some young kids not necessarily all super organized they usually bring a team with like five subs mm-hmm. on it but during the bracket they, they had their stuff together um, a shout out to Double Tap which is captained by one of my best friends uh, Keith Nelson who plays on Double Tap in Elite they brought a good chunk of their team with some good fill ins from Portland for people they were missing. And they made it pretty far in the bracket, too. Uh, we have the list here, Lucas. Thanks for putting that together. They came in fifth, tied with the uh, Toon Squad. So I'd, I'd say those two teams really stood out to me.
2: Nice. And uh, how about you, Brett?
3: Yeah, well, for um, this year, something that was very obviously different was that. We had two full elite teams that had just played the weekend prior, yep. so they were very organized, uh, extremely competitive, and as you know, anybody would have anticipated they finished first and third, and that was Rainbows and Portland Downpour. So that was something that very, that stood out a lot, of course. Hmm. Um, but other than that, um, I was very pleased to see that um, Seattle teams that have been together for a long time, uh, Toon Squad and Dino have. Uh, since I started playing, they have improved significantly. If they continue to stay together and stay organized, they're going to be great teams in the future as well. And then I guess lastly, there were two Canadian teams where last year, um, I think they were just a mashup of foam players, but this year they definitely brought it. Um, I was extremely surprised by Surrey Dodgeball um, League. They had really solid players. Um, they gave Task Force a run for their money on some games. Um, so, yeah, very impressive team showed up. But also, there were just a lot of teams this year, too. I didn't even get to play Rainbows or uh, didn't get to play hmm, Downpour until the Brackets. So, yeah, very fun.
1: And to piggyback on that, the yeah, the VDL team last year was here for the beers. And it was like a 16-person yeah. team. that was just, <laughs> oh, they were just getting lit up. But uh, the, the the other group brought a, a team last year, and they, they gave it their shot. But this year, they definitely came much more mm-hmm. prepared. They have a very different rule set up there, and you could tell that they would given some serious thought to what adjustments needed to be made to play the style we play as opposed to what they play.
2: Nice. And then out. Uh, yeah. Oh, I think, yeah, teams, teams
0: that stood out to me, I think, uh, definitely a bunch of the ones you mentioned. I think I want to shout out, um, Grunge Green, which is a brand new Seattle team. This is their first tournament ever. Um, they seeded fourth, which <laughs> it was incredible. Like I couldn't believe it. Um, so that team is captained by Rob Styles, who, um, used to play no sting in la and has been up in seattle for the last couple of years and uh, he was just you know he was like let me let me throw a team together out of kind of like some of the indie players up here and so he put up a badass team uh, they won their first round matchup looks like they lost a close one to Downpour in the second round and then they made like kind of a run in the loser's bracket um they beat surrey natural league but then they they lost to double tap. A team that also was down at Elite um, LA round one. So uh, they 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 played really well. So I want to give a lot of credit to them because it is really hard to start a team, and uh, your first tournament with a new team is also really hard. Um, I also I also really appreciated the SDL and VDL teams because they never play rubber. They play 8.25 foam all year round. And last year they came down, just not sure what to expect. And, uh, Immediately, they knew it, it was going to be tough sledding, so they just decided to have fun. And uh, they don't have flight kills or eagles in their league, so they just eagled and flight killed nonstop. Um, so last year was kind of like a circus, and this year they were like, "No, we, we came here to compete. We want to win." And uh, I think they they were like tied for like ninth place. Um, so you know they were they were in the top half of the bracket.
2: Did we uh did we establish how many teams there were total before we move on?
0: Yeah, this this year there was uh, nineteen teams. <clears throat>
2: nineteen, okay.
0: And uh, eighteen of them registered. <laughs> uh, one one team one team notified us that they were not on the schedule, um, like a few minutes before the captains meeting, and oh, I almost fainted. <laughs> um, but luckily, we've got. Um, a schedule guru, Bill Fisher, here, who plays for denot and he's also uh, an elite player on Fortune. And he he figured it out. He found a way to insert a 19th team into the round robin schedule with like moments to spare. And uh, Bill saved the day. So <laughs> thank you, Bill. But yeah, 19 teams. Um, yeah, that's our biggest yet.
2: Nice.
3: So to add to ask, um, Lucas. When you put up the registration um, on Facebook, it seemed to me that teams just all signed up immediately and that it almost felt like the Seattle Classic was sold out um, within a week. At least that's how it seemed to me.
2: I mean, I can can echo that. Yeah, that that is
0: the case. Yeah, yeah, I think it was, like, 10 days we hit our, like, 18 mark, um, which is, like... That is so exciting, and that energizes you as an organizer to like put in the work when people show you that kind of love and um, interest.
2: I uh, So part of why I didn't make it was uh, I thought, being the dodgeball player that I am, I had like all day long to assemble a team and, and find out if we're actually going to get some people from Phoenix and potentially Tucson to show up. And then before I knew it, it was it was sold out. So I was like, oh, OK, well, oops. Definitely need to be faster next time. But yeah, (laughs) Mm -hmm. it it did feel like it sold out fast.
0: I I do a little bit of back channel talking to my out-of-state captains, where I give them a wink-wink. So any out-of-state folks, if you want to play in this tournament in the future, just hit me up. Um, I will make sure we get you a spot in there. We love having visitors, and we love sharing our community with people from around the country.
2: Awesome. Um, Real quick, what, what was SDL?
0: Surrey Steel is,
1: yeah, Surrey, yeah, Surrey Dodgeball League, and uh, via Surrey's just south
3: of Vancouver.
2: Yeah. Okay, gotcha.
0: And and you know what's really funny is like um, we have kind of like played with Surrey and Vancouver for the last two years since they came down and played with us, and um, it's it's fun to. I think a lot of people outside of the Northwest kind of assume that Seattle and Portland are the same thing and um, which you know like we always giggle about because like we've been you know like vicious rivals for years and um, I think like we assumed the same thing about Surrey and Vancouver we're just like oh yeah you're all the Vancouver guys but you know we've come to recognize that no like they're very distinct federal communities and from time to time there's some friction there and so it's, it's fun to um, it's fun to see them come down and compete and, and we made sure that we made a, a matchup for those two to play each other in the round robin.
2: Nice yeah I'm, I'm guilty of that I, I peg, uh Portland Seattle for, for being all the same so I do apologize for that but that's mm-hmm. definitely a, a thing at least with me I can't speak for anybody else in, in AZ but um, it, it's a thing and also you mentioned an eagle What what is that? Mentioned a flight and an eagle. Same
1: thing as a flight kill. Sometimes called a suicide. Got it. Um, just different, different phrases for the same thing.
2: I like eagle. That's pretty cool sounding. Cool. Um, well, I think we kind of covered a little bit, is uh, pretty well as far as uh, you know teams go. And um, we'll go ahead and start with uh, with Britt. Um, were there any players that you noticed that stood out overall?
3: Um, Well, it's always nice to see new players that just kind of blow me away and there was this one guy on Vancouver Dodgeball League who was just catching everything Chicago Task Force was throwing at him. He was throwing mad heat. Um, I think that if he was up for traveling, uh, doing competitive travel Dodgeball League, I think some elite teams would do well to scout him. Um, I was very impressed. and. other than that, uh, just there's some Seattle players that I've seen really grow. Um, yeah, I would have to say that everybody on Toon Squad has really surprised me. Um, they used to be a team I could just feel like I could beat. Any team I was on, we could probably beat them, but now they will give you a run for their money. Nice. I'm trying to think of specifically, well, of course, Anthony. Um, he's gotten bet- a, like incredible. You can't throw at that guy. He will catch you Every time, um,
2: Anthony last name Collins. <laughs> Collins. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, he's on Fortune. Yeah. Gotcha. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, and Lucas, if you could help me out with some other names, I'm blanking right now. Got
1: on, uh, Juan. Uh, let's see yeah. here. Um, the tall guy uh, Tyson. He's playing. Tyson. The, uh, player yeah, player. Tyson
3: really good. So I think, and I've played with Toon Squad, and yeah, you know, um, if they continue to get organized, they're going to be like very competitive Seattle team.
1: I think uh, the guy you mean on, uh, I think it was STL's, the tall, taller guy with the white uh, shirt,
3: Vancouver, Vancouver, Vancouver dodgeball league. Okay, he's a taller, broader guy. Yeah,
0: I, think I got a photo. His name is uh, Chris, yeah. and he is like. He's one of the legends up there, and mm-hmm. um, their format is um, an incredibly short throw distance, and so you have to ha- have incredible like catching ability just to survive in that game. So it was really cool to see them come down and see like the catching translate because mm-hmm. the balls are moving slower. They have more force, but they have more time, and so like mm-hmm. it was it was really cool to see like distance. what was going to work. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I definitely found catching a little bit easier this tournament than in, you know, Greece's time, rubber dodgeball. Because of the distance, there was more time to make those decisions of, am I going to catch this or am I going to dodge this?
2: Well, do you think uh, having just come from Elite helped at all, Britt, with that?
3: Oh, I haven't played in Elite yet.
2: Oh, my mistake. No. It's okay. How about you, Alan? <laughs> Sorry to correct a, a correction there, but Bray, yeah. you technically
1: oh. did play Elite one time uh, when oh, we had the Elite yeah. Northwest yeah. Renton tournament. Actually, that was when you played on Toon Squad. So, and then I have my dodgeball historian self comes out again. Awesome. Um, <laughs> I uh, I actually really love the the old long chords of the classic. If you've if you've watched me play, you yeah. know that I love to explode off the back line. And so the longer the court is, the bigger the neutral zone, the farther they have to run away, and that really played to my advantage when I when we had the longer courts. But even this year, they were still, I believe, 59 foot courts with a uh, 20 foot throw line, which leaves like a f- some six foot neutral zone or something like that. So um, yeah, it it was still uh, that part of it really is great for me. I, I'm I'm kind of an all around player, so. Catching it's when it happens, uh, blocking, staying alive. The longer throw line benefits me, because I'm not I'm not blowing anyone away anyway, no matter how close they are.
2: Nice. And uh, did you have any players that, that stood out, or I think you kind of jumped in a little bit, but was there anybody else that you can recall?
1: Yeah, I mean, Chris uh, from uh, from the Canadian team there, as Britt mentioned, definitely deserves a shout out. Um, let's see. Well, she's right about Tune Squad. I've told those guys uh, before, and FOM—they're—they're they're one of my favorite teams just because they are. They've grown, you know, from a team that was kind of like a for fun team put together, and now they're serious. They show up and they all buy in, and it's just a team of friends and similar style players, which is really fun to watch. Uh, I'd give a shout out to um, uh, to uh, Kevin Hill, who played on Double Tap. He subbed in for them, and I saw him playing. Really good all day long. He made some great catches in transition, which it, it benefits his game in the longer courts too. Um, let's see. Is it uh, Lucas on uh, OSU? Is it Pierre? Is that the? Is he on that team right now? Is he the young kid who's kind of their Lucas light? We've ca- I think we've called him uh, Lucas light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I, nice. You want me to just to jump in? He's on my list.
2: Yeah. If, uh, <laughs> yes. It'll um, work.
0: Yeah, his name is Harley, Harley Nurheim Cherrick, and he is incredible, and if we could get him into Elite, he would love it. He's just, like, an all-around baller. He's got a great arm. He throws his body around. He goes for catches. Like, the OS, OSU Dodgeball Club has produced some incredible players. I think Kevin Pack, Brandon Cook... Um, uh, Patrick Goodman, Michael White, like uh, I think all of those guys are from out of there. Ashley Tyree, like they just—they um, have such an incredible lineage of dodgeball beasts. Um, so yeah, he was on my list. Um, there was another guy on that team. Um, I think it said Tank on the back of his jersey, but yep. he was just a massive human being who had this incredible kind of clamp swinging throw that like had movement but it exploded it was kind of like dustin Pyan throwing like underarm or something like it was it was exceptional and it was pl- like blowing people up even though they had blocking balls um so he was just something to watch i, I loved watching and playing against him um i wanted to give a shout out to drew jones on uh, double tap uh, Drew is like a former NCDA player, if I'm not mistaken, and he's recently moved to Portland and uh, has kind of connected with the Dodgeballers there and is now playing in elite uh, on a Portland team. But uh, he came up and he was looking great. He's scrappy, he's got a good throw. He's like a very tall player, but he goes for catches and um, definitely seems like a guy that i would love to play with so um shout out to drew um and the the final player that i wanted to shout out was um one and only uh, nico Nadal from task force and um it is a treat to watch that guy go um he is so smooth like he he's never putting himself in a bad position um for those of you who don't know Nico is on the US dot uh, foam WDbf team nice. um, and uh, he is a he is he's amazing to watch he's got this throw kind of the way buyin is on the court like he's not gonna flaunt his uh, dominance but he will um, use it when he needs it and he's got this like overhand clamp throw that has Wicked Bend and it just is explosive and uh, it was so fun and I was I was kind of I have a nagging back injury so I was resting for a lot of round robin but when we went up against them like I felt like I owed it to him like I've never played against him and I wanted to just go all out and so we we kind of like let that be known early on that we were going after each other so we matched up as corners and we just went for it and it was a blast and um yeah, it was awesome to have Nico come out. Nice. I think I'd give one more
1: just kind of blanket shout-out to uh, not just the ladies of Task Force. This, I made this shout-out in the shout-outs thread, but just the ladies in general to see the, the North players come from a division that has a, a, a no, a no co-ed and no women's uh, to play against the ladies of the Northwest and just constantly get caught. The amount of catches I saw a task force throw. Because they just would walk up to a lady yeah. and had a blast her right in the chest and it, it just doesn't work.
3: And I would scold them afterwards and be like, <laughs> that's what you get. <laughs> I told you, don't do that.
2: Nice. Um So is there any like hopefully this isn't too much of a segue, but is there any hesitation for a lot of these uh, teams that participate in the Seattle Classic into joining Elite, or are we going to maybe see more of them in the Portland stop coming up in May? Is that a possibility? And that, and that can anybody can t- can take that question. That might know.
1: Well, Britt, you've not traveled to play Elite. What what are your thoughts on that? What would your hesitation be?
3: Um. Well, my hesitations for not playing Elite so far has just been you know, adulting and. Prioritizing other things over uh, traveling, uh, but I'd like to get to that point. Um, and I would very much like to play in this upcoming Elite uh, tournament um, in Portland. So if anyone's interested, give me a shout. <coughs> and um, I think, um, you know, one thing that really makes a lot of people hesitate, probably from Portland, with going with Elite would be the headshots. Um, we're we're pretty adamant here about protecting our faces and our brains. Um, so the fact that it's you know not illegal and elite is what is going to cause a lot of Portland people, at least in my opinion and in my perspective, from really diving into full-on travel competitive dodgeball.
2: Gotcha.
0: Um, I you know I think elite has a really interesting effect on local dodgeball scenes because i think that like the creme de la creme of like every dodgeball community like wants a taste of elite they like want to see like how they are gonna fare and then um i think everyone who goes loves it like er everyone who is a hardcore dodgeball player loves it and um and then that the word kind of trickles down into the communities and like People start seeing it as kind of this this um, goal of theirs to participate in elite. And I think I think you see like people from Portland who um, aren't on rainbows. Like every season, there's like um, another Portland Dutch team playing in elite. And you know, like the word is getting out, and people are having a good time. And I think slowly you're going to see that. And. Having um, round two of the West Elite in Portland I think is going to be great because it's going to give people an opportunity to try it who maybe aren't ready to sink, you know, like hundreds of dollars into traveling to another city. Hundreds, that's it? uh, (laughs) Only. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sink major major money in traveling for dodgeball, and Mm -hmm. hopefully it will give them a chance to try it and fall in love with it. Gotcha. I'd agree with that for sure. The travel is uh, a
1: drawback. And I mean, at one point, there was a discussion of do does the Northwest get its own elite division? Um, or do we separate from the West? And uh, the, the I mean, I could tell you from the rainbows perspective, it wasn't something we wanted. Um, at least the current rainbows because uh, we want to play against doom like we're lucky to be in the west division and be able to play doom and rise the teams who you know you're going to run up against on your way to the you know the national championship is only they have ever won it to my knowledge so uh why you know it for us it doesn't benefit us and help us get better if we end up in a position where we're not playing them that's what we want so Gotcha. But it would be better, probably, for the rest of the Northwest players if we had a Northwest division.
2: Yeah, I mean, the way it's growing, I wouldn't be surprised if this if if there was a new region showing up in the next uh, two to three years. I uh, would not be surprised at all. So I'm sure it's on its way. And I forget for me, you know, LA is like a five hour drive, so we're we're pretty spoiled when it comes to the uh, the Arizona teams, I guess. Kind of forgot that you guys have to kind of travel a bit of a distance. So that's a good point. <laughs> that Britt uh, brings up. So, um, kind of covered some of the teams and, and, and players that stood out. Um, how about like specific events or specific plays? Um, anything, and Alan, you can, you can probably start this one. Any particular like events or matches that, that, that you recognize and remember and kind of are, are replaying in your mind again, over and over?
1: Yeah, the footage hasn't come out once we get the film out i'll I'll end up watching all these matches at least you know 15 times but the two that are oh, yeah. still fresh in my mind uh, are and I'll start with this one uh, the losers final which was a, a best of three between NSFw and downpour so um, downpour you know is an elite team um it was their exact roster no one missing the co-ed version we play five uh, five and two basically so um, it was more or less the open and the co-ed all together, which is a cool dynamic. Hmm. And then uh, NSFW is Lucas's team. Um, it's not very similar to Fortune. In fact, I think Lucas and Mark Sweetcall, and then the ladies Lizzie and Melissa are the carryover. And then the other three or four guys are different. And man, this was a classic match. I don't remember much about the first two games, other than that, that each team won one. But game three came down to Lucas against five and uh, just there was nothing that could be done there's there's one really tough call where a blocked ball got put up and Lucas threw and to the refs uh, it appeared that the ball was hit at the same time it was being caught so a secured catch had not been made hmm. before the ball was hit and caused to be dead but it would have swung the whole match but after that he went on to make a catch um, hit hit a hit an out or two. Have the player he caught in step out of bounds for no good reason, <laughs> and then continue to get the last. I believe there was three more players after that out, with just just he just couldn't be hit. And you know his throw is we as we all know if you if you take a step that's kind of <laughs> on shaky ground, he's just gonna hit you. Uh, it's happened to me all too many times. So yeah, my, that was a classic and to just have a front row seat was uh, was a special thing to watch. I'm
2: still feeling the effects of one of those off-step hits from Lucas. Um, <laughs> my pinky <laughs> still hurts. Thank you very much for that. I'll remember you for a couple <laughs> weeks. Um, so 5 5 yeah. on, what's that?
0: Yeah, um, that <laughs> that game was kind of a blur because I you know the event was running late and i had been in like the staff office like pleading with them to let me like rent more time and you know one of the guys was um, sympathetic and he he thought it was kind of cool what we were doing and then the other the other staff person was just like no i'm putting my foot down you guys gotta go and so we had like an hour left and we had three more matches to play and like the first match took like half an hour and so we had to like whittle down the final two matches to like best of three, which was uh, pretty disappointing. But so this was the third game of the best of three. And and all the while, like as I'm last one in, I'm sitting there, I'm like, shame. This is taking too long. Sorry to swear again, Steve. Okay, <laughs> <good>. <laughs> but I'm just like, I'm just hanging in there, but I'm just like, ah, oh, it's taking too long. Oh my God, we're not going to have time for the final. and. Um, I don't know. It was one of those things where I I definitely noticed, like, the extra three feet that we had is a 23-foot throw line, and so, like, I felt really comfortable on the back line and on defense, so I was just, you know, kind of begging the opponents to group throw me, and I was throwing at people's legs and trying to just kind of break it apart, and, you um, Alan, I'm glad you brought up that almost catch that Kyle had, because honestly, I thought it was a catch. And uh, I was ready to walk off the court. But um, that, that was the game changer right there. And um, I think I had two catches, and both of my teammates got out at one point. And uh, I was exhausted, but I was proud to put on a show for the Seattle fans who stuck around. <laughs> nice. It was a show, indeed. Uh, yeah, it's,
3: it was a show, and that's one thing that I really appreciated was it wasn't like throw one ball, wait for people to figure out wh- who they're throwing to, and then throw another one ball. It was a lot of back and forth. It was a lot of action. It's fun to watch.
2: It was a battle.
3: And that's what you want to see out of you know, your second-to-last game.
2: Definitely. I like uh, I like what you said, Alan, when um, you said 5v1 and nothing can be done. And I was like, I, for some reason I just took that as... Uh, it's it's one of those situations where, like I'm not surrounded by by you you guys are trapped in here with me like type deals with with Lucas maybe and then th- it sounds like that's kind of how it played out and then you have Lucas like oh, I gotta wrap this up real quick uh, I'm just gonna beat these five guys no big deal <laughs> like, I'm sure well, that's uh, not what uh, you're trying uh, but
1: <laughs> I have a kind of a running joke and Lucas uh it isn't with Lucas it's with everyone who loses to him that Lucas just has the ability to play the nope card like you you he just <laughs> try to run something against him and he, he just no, nope. flips over the nope card and whatever you're trying to do <laughs> falls apart and shambles and your team loses so he, I, that's i mean that special players they, they have that power and lucas played the nope card right there that's, that's
2: hilarious that. uh, when i was talking to Sturge, he's like yeah we had this one play where it's like a 99% uh, you know success rate and then we threw out lucas and he he just said no and he caught it and then you know he, i think you got you like push throw tim so that must have been you activating your note powers right there. So I've, <laughs> I've not witnessed it firsthand, but I've heard firsthand accounts of this happening. So that's awesome, hilarious and at the same time. Um, what about you, Britt? Have any, any plays or events that you might have seen that, that stood out that you're still kind of replaying in your mind?
3: Um, well, I, well our, if we're moving on to another match, uh, I was on Task Force, and one of our last matches we played was against Double Tap. And Double Tap put together a pretty good team. Um, And uh, we definitely could have lost. Uh, uh, I think Brett Furlong was the last player in. And he had three balls come at him. He caught one. And then he brought in Eric Jones. Eric Jones, just bam, bam, bam. I think he made like two or three catches with that. Sounds like him. And then they just shut down the game. But before they shut down the game, they did throw. um, uh, They did a team throw on my friend Paige. And she caught one of those balls. And honestly, I was very impressed with Paige all um, all day. She made lots of great catches. She made two catches against Task Force, one that really probably left a sweet, it sweet left a great right breath. on her throat. <laughs> 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 yeah, I hope it's on video somewhere, honestly. It's beautiful. Uh, but um, yeah, that was a great game, and uh, I mean, yeah. Uh, Brett making that catch, then Eric Jones making multiple catches really saved us there.
1: That's a, I mean, that's an interesting match for you because you've played with almost everyone on the other side of the court. You've played with them too. I mean, Aldo and Keith were on Pizza with us. You played with Kevin on uh, Autobots for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of who else on that team you would have played with. I'm sure there's someone else, but...
3: Play with your dad.
1: And my dad, yeah, exactly. He played with us on Pandemic as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you you kind of knew both sides of that court, having played with Task Force all day and being able to give them, I'm sure, a scouting report.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would just say, hey, flat out, all catchers, be careful. <laughs> just giving <laughs> That's what feeding, that
1: team was. feeding yeah, Keith intel. A, I remember a specific play in that where Keith had a great bait on Eric Jones. He's, he ran up across and, you know, kind of dumped a ball on the ground and just turned and Eric Jones threw it right at him. And then later in the match, Eric Jones caught him right back. And that's one of the big catches you were talking about at the end um, when he got caught in. And so just, I mean, that classic back and forth and big plays. Uh, Whitney had a great catch and, and uh, out as well as the one you mentioned by Paige. Just uh, awesome all around.
2: And this wasn't this wasn't Paige Peterson by any chance? No, was it? Uh,
1: her name is uh, Paige Dan Routher Silva. she's, uh, she's on uh, uh, Rose City Raptors? Rose City Raptors, yes. And Double Tap's co-ed elite team. Uh, her husband is Aldo, who's also on that team. Gotcha. Double Tap.
2: Cool. And I didn't mean to cut you off, Alan. Was Was there any other events that you were going to recap or?
1: Um, th- I mean, those are the two that I wasn't involved in that stand out to me. Uh, it stood out. Our match against NSFW in the winners' final stood out to me because uh, Lucas's nope card was completely ineffective. Uh, in fact, I think Tiffany played the nope card on him. Uh, so the very first like lineup and throw of the game is uh, he took a shot at, at uh, Tiffany from Rainbows who's also on uh, Witness, a very, uh, very, very talented player. And um, uh, you know, I'm not even sure she was looking or ready to know he was throwing, but he put it right there, and she snagged it. She also caught Tom, um, who elite players aren't aren't uh, aren't familiar with. But when he's on his game, I mean, you, you can ask me; he's the second best player in the Northwest after Lucas, So uh, she also caught him at a big point in the third game. Um, Lucas threw me a catch, and uh, in the second game, and he was pretty upset about it in the third game, so he blasted me in the face. Uh, <laughs> uh but uh that was uh that was
0: a we uh, i mean we handled them pretty well and it's a talented team nice yeah i wanted to follow up on that game that game was really i think um you guys definitely asserted yourself as like the top team of the day during that game we i think we lost three zero yeah um and uh yeah that first that first game um I I had my guy I told someone to put pressure on Tiff so I could cross court her and they pressured her she jumped and then as she lands she turns to me and it was almost like like the ghost of Tim Fullerton, like looking at me and gobbling my cross court. And it, it just gave me the creeps. And she had this like look in her eyes, like I got you. And it was, I, I knew that I was like, Oh God, they, this is their day. They are going to rock it. And so when we finally met again in the finals, um, it was almost like a swift and painless death. The, the shortened version the one the, of one the one game final, Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I remember nothing of what happened in that game. Um, so, so you mentioned that the last few matches got shortened, and the original plan was for the winner's bracket team in the final to start up a game in a best of seven. Well, you know, that's not a huge swing in a best of seven, but in a best of three, uh, it's uh, kind of a big deal. <laughs> so, that yes. the final was uh, the final was really not yes. the final. I would say the winners, the winner's bracket final was what I really took away as the final.
0: Yeah, I I think one thing we should mention is that for whatever reason, um, over the years, we've decided that um, to bring emphasis to the final match, we make it a winner-take-all match, and uh, even though the rest of the tournament is a double elimination, and so to give the winner's bracket team an edge, we always throw them an extra win. So um, this year's tournament, um, we were supposed to do a best of seven in the finals, and the winner's bracket team was going to start with a one-game lead, but because we were um, biting the bullet or looking down the barrel of the gun, so to speak, with time, uh, we had to shorten the loser bracket semifinal to best of three, and we had ten, literally ten minutes left um, in the finals. And. It, it felt so cheap but we had to do a best of three and uh, and we also gave the rainbows a game edge so they won one game and it was over but they would have won four if we had given them four it we were we were outmatched um, so it was definitely their day so the right team won and uh, as the organizer I was happy to have it over and get out of
2: there <laughs> I'll bet Um well, cool. So one one thing I, I didn't want to uh, forget and gloss over was um, one thing that I remember was very unique to the the classic was the joust. Um, Lucas, you want to kind of just break down what that is and kind of just run me through how it went uh, with this event? We can start with you. Yeah.
0: So I think every year we've done a joust tournament, which is essentially like a one v one almost showdown, like. Um, dodgeball challenge. Um, over the years, the rules have changed, but currently there's no blocking allowed. Um, you're only allowed to touch one ball at a time. So both players start kind of in the back of the court. Um, they use full court, so you can you can move freely throughout the court, and it's full neutral zone, so you can um, go anywhere within the confines of the court. Hmm. Um, there's also three balls on the midline, so a lot of players start by running at the midline, throwing and diving for one of the balls, and then throwing again. Um, It usually results in some pretty hilarious dodgeball plays and some goofy, amazing dodges and people throwing their bodies around, Um, and uh, this year we expanded the field to 64 players and, uh, we had a new champion, Mike Lyons, and, uh, it was really cool, there, there was some, actually, Trong from VDL, Vancouver Dunschwell League, made it into the Final Four, which was super cool, because, uh, because of their rubber inexperience, but it was awesome to see him make it that far, and, uh, Another one of the underdogs who made it to the final four was uh, the captain of the Gonzaga Dodgeball Club, who last year uh, got crushed, and they, they actually left the tournament before the knockout round started because they, they thought they wouldn't qualify for the knockouts. Um, but he made it to the top four. And uh, yeah, the joust has been like a, an awesome, fun, kind of entertaining um, kind of side Contest that happens at the classic every year nice Lukas.
1: How many jousts have you won? How many jou- how many of the class um you won like the first three
0: didn't you? I think I won the first two. I think that there was a typo I think someone gave me an extra win But back then <laughs> I think blocking was allowed and I think oh. since since we've moved to no block like I I suck I suck um, I wouldn't so go that I've, far but uh
1: that's i when you were saying that hilarious things ensue anytime you put no block into a game uh, of dodgeball where people normally can block the best things happen because you don't you so you forget that you can't block until that ball is literally inches from the ball that you're (laughs) about to block it with and so like some crazy contortion has to happen to make sure you don't block the ball. And that's, I think that's my favorite part of it. But you mentioned some people who who uh, made the top four, but actually we had all four rookies to the top four, not rookies to playing, but the four people in the top four had never made the top four. And that was uh, the winner, Michael Lyons. Congrats to him. Max Doolin from Gonzaga. You mentioned the captain of that team. I knocked him out last year in the first round. He made the finals this year. Um, Trung Cao from uh, Canada, who knocked me out in my side of the bracket, which awesome. He, Crushed me. He was too. He was too fast. And then uh, Kevin Hill, who we've mentioned for double tap, who made the semifinals as well, which did a great job for uh, normally a tall player who's really just a, a great arm, not necessarily a mobile player. He he did. He really played it well to get his skill set to that point.
2: Nice. And Britt, did you play in this?
3: No, I usually don't play in the joust because I know the joust is cursed.
1: It's cursed. It's true. Actually, that <laughs> it's is true. true.
3: If you win the Joust, you will not be a first place team. So I always do my team a favor and I don't play the Joust because I believe in my team. It but is- Alan, on the other <laughs> hand, he wants to be Joust champion when he plays for pizza and then we lose to NSFW.
1: So the, the history of this curse is that uh, two of the last three years prior to this year, uh, so 15 and well, 17.
3: I'm thinking all of them.
1: They're fifteen all and well, <laughs> fifteen and seventeen. So in fifteen, I was on Street Fighters. Uh, I won the joust. One of my teammates also made the semifinal, and we played Beaver Damnation in the final and had literally nothing. but both of our hands were cramping shut. I had to leave the court due to it, like, and take a sub. Um, and we lost 4-0 total sweep after after in a heartbreaking match, knocking Lukas out. I'm sure he, I'm sure it was. He was happy to see us get swept. <laughs> and then uh and then the next year we I did not win and we got top four. And then the year after that I won again with pizza, as Britt mentioned, and we lost in the final to uh Lucas. So
0: hmm. Well Alan, now that we've got you on the record, give us some tips. What what are some of your joust strategies? Uh well I mean just like any part, of dodgeball I'll kinda
1: Anticipate who you're playing against. Um, if you can get them to give up their ball, like if you if you say you're playing against a drop catcher, and you and you think if you fake well enough, they'll drop their ball without throwing it, that's an immediate game over. Because like you said, the whole court is open. There, there's boundaries on the out out of bounds on the outsides, but there's no middle line. There's no neutral zone. Literally, if they if if they screw up and drop their ball and have no ball, you can go an inch from them and. bounce off whatever the part of their body you want so um if you can get them to drop their ball like that's strategy number one um if you can if you have the ability to throw while running full speed towards that center ball like that's i mean that's the general strategy i use i'm just usually i can throw while running and get to that ball before anyone else can so even if they don't throw their ball the fact that they have to dodge my ball gives me enough time to get another ball and be ready to throw before they can adjust so those are i mean those are the general two strategies is either get them to drop their ball or throw it in a place where they have to dodge to give me enough time to get that second ball and just use my speed and and athleticism
2: nice plus you're taking away blocking so they can't uh
1: Exactly which which throws in the the dodge like we talked about when you th- when you are used to blocking and you put a ball that's right at where they would block the dodge that comes from it is usually debilitating
2: I'm sure off step and everything um, cool uh, I don't really have much questions about the joust um I'll, I'll bet it was just pretty uh. Pretty exciting and, and different than you know Showdown, which I think is—I uh, don't want to say it's a standard, but when you think one v one, I think that's what people imagine now—is uh, you know like a five-five like, like foot distance from the person or something incredibly small and shallow. So, do the—and maybe this is more for Alan. Do the the joust skills translate into Showdown?
1: They somewhat do it's the only day di- I mean the biggest difference is obviously the blocking and that's and in a hallway which essentially in the showdown you're playing in a hallway um, the blocking is so big if you can if you can block any part of you your effective blocker which I mean is what that's what when Vin- Vince Marchbank's won last year his huge advantage was that he is such a good blocker that if you threw your ball first you probably weren't hitting him and then he's Tall, athletic, fast, throws really hard. He get he covers to that center line, so even if you throw it while on the run, you're probably not going to get to that sec that second ball in the middle before he can hit you. So um, they somewhat translate. You know, I made the semifinal in the West of the of the showdown last year. So I mean, some of those skills translate. If you're an all-around athletic player, you're going to be able to be good at both. I strongly prefer the joust just because there's so many more things that can happen in a full court. Without right. blocking, it, it sort of changes up your instincts of the game. And I don't like the con- the constriction of a hallway, just like so little space that you can do anything in. It takes away some creativity that can happen. I'm sure, it, I mean, we see quite a lot of creativity in the showdown. We've seen, um, you know, like the pump fake that threw uh, Cliff out of bounds. We've seen that clip going around in the last couple of days. So uh, just just stuff like that. I couldn't imagine some of the creativity that people like Vince or like Mark come have. That uh, th- what they could do in a joust, like how how many cool different things could happen. I know I I've hit people out by throwing through my legs before, just <laughs> catching them off guard. A ball comes from between my legs in there, they f- they freeze. Just so they- there's just it. things like that that you could do in a full court game with no blocking that would just add way more variables.
2: Gotcha. Um, so earlier, Brett, you mentioned, um, and this is kind of like a, a segue into a different topic. Um, you mentioned something about what, sh- what what should teams be working on if they want to elevate their game and break into the top four. Do you feel like that's a fair question for you to take?
3: Um, well, I I can comment on it, and I'd also like to hear what Lukas and Alan have to say since they've been on really great teams in Elite. Sure. But, um, you know, all of the teams that I've been on in uh, the Seattle Classic Um, have been very organized, and Pizza was the most organized team I've been on. We always had play calls, and we stuck to them, and um, I think that once you really start communicating and you slow down the game, you don't let it get away from you, um, you can control the game. And the team that does that the best, I mean, now that we have Rainbows playing in the Seattle Classic, uh, they do it extremely well too, but Not Safe for Work has... the craziest play calls. I've never ever been able to figure it out. I'm not sure what they're doing.
1: Burrito, Space Laser, Lion, Nintendo. (laughs) (laughs) He just yells words, yeah.
3: Yeah, I've (laughs) never figured it out. It's just fake after fake after fake and then BAM! Someone's throwing at you and you're not sure where it's coming from. And it's not always a group throw, it can be a single throw. Um, but I think that, you know, if teams can just really get together and be consistent and have these play calls, um, they're going to do a lot better than if they are just wing it. Right. And I think just even just the day before in a Facebook group chat, just, hey, this is what we're doing. Um, this is our fake call. And, you know, even just a number system is going to work for you over just showing up and playing and expecting, you know, your best player to pull you out.
2: Gotcha. Then, uh, Lucas, you want to go ahead and add to that, maybe?
0: Yeah, totally. I, um, I, I think I used to pride myself on having like all these different like codes, that communication codes, verbal codes on court to play call, and um, I think the most extravagant one that we ever came up with was each player on our team had a code name. Um, the targets on the opposing team were all named after Star Wars movies, so we had like Return, uh, <laughs> Revenge, Hope, <laughs> Empire. <laughs> so we were like screaming like you know like five different like a string of five different variables, and like we had uh, fake fakes that were like white, black, and gray, and so there was just like nonsense. It was like. Cupid, Hope, Revenge, Black, Square. And like, it was really cool because you could be really precise about your play call. However, it was just way too much. So I used to think uh, teams like Rise that huddled all the time were just like so primitive. But honestly, I've been having my teams huddle now. And I think it just makes sure that everyone is on the same page. Um, it allows you to synchronize everything, and so even if it's just a solo throw, the other team doesn't know where it's coming from, and it's so much more effective. So I really recommend the huddle to everyone. I mean, just swallow your pride, huddle, and run a awesome play. (laughs) Oh, you sailor, you.
1: Um, (laughs) uh, So uh, to add, I mean, I I think there's a, a dodgeball rule that everyone shouts, that's the worst rule that you could ever play by and that's no solos every team has to solo to win. Have you ever seen a team win a, win a game when they didn't throw solo throws? If you're throwing group throws every time you may get one person out and then the other team has all the balls and they're gonna get three of you out. No solos is the wrong lesson to take away from someone throwing a bad solo throw. Uh, the best thing that you can do is throw good solos. Any team can win if their one solo gets one out and it's a 90 to 10, or 90, 30, 60, 30, 10. If it's 60% out, 30% miss, 10% catch. You throw at that ratio, you're gonna win at a really high clip. Uh, And the best way to do that is to have all of your team on the same page, have some sort of call system where if you don't have time to huddle, you can figure out what you're doing, have good fakes, and make sure whoever's not throwing is properly marking a target. So, uh, the standard in elite it, is that the two corners mark and the center person throws. Um, and that uh, that is a standard that we kind of mixed up when we came. That's not something we usually do. The other standard is that you throw that burden ball. When you have three, you throw the one ball that everyone knows you have to throw. Well, why would you do that? Everyone knows you have They're to throw that ball. It. So we also changed that standard. Um, and so in a four and three ball, the Seattle Classic plays, plays with seven. But the advantage is the side that has four balls has to throw. If you throw two, you're left with two balls. It's not as bad as being left with one. But if you can always keep three and only throw one, that's a better situation than having two. So uh, I would say to get better, find a way to make sure you're getting consistent outs without throwing consistent catches with only throwing one ball at a time. And I know Britt, you mentioned you wanted a lot of back and forth play, and that's what's exciting. But if you're going to get better, you've got to be able to throw effective solos. That's
2: fair.
3: We're
2: taken. Yeah, I mean sometimes, um, and I love when this happens. You'll have like uh, both teams will just break discipline, as I call it, and they'll have like a running, <laughs> they'll have like a run and gun, like almost free for all. And it's the god that is so exciting to watch versus uh, okay, rise is going to throw, cool a
3: huddle and one
2: throw. Okay, doom's going to throw. It's yeah. so boring. It's effective, but it's a, boring I though. It.
1: I get it, it wins. Well, and there's a time, I mean, there's certainly a time to shift gears. Uh, I mean, do, that's that's Doom's, what Doom does, is if, if they shift gears and they go into an exchange and they win those exchanges almost every time. Their players are really good at not throwing catches in those exchanges, they're really good at coming out ahead with the ball advantage and ahead in the trade. Um, and it, I mean, yeah, so they initiate those a lot and they take advantage of when other teams initiate them poorly. Rise is the opposite, Rise is very, very good at denying that exchange from ever happening. So if you, you, you'll you see Rise and the team tries to rush them and their defense immediately shields up. Nothing you can do. You're just wasting balls at that point. Yep. And then at the end of the game, when it advantages them, they'll run you down if you leave yourself out of position. So. I mean, those are all, uh, those are things to watch. Before I ever went and played in any single elite game, I knew all of those teams in the West. We knew Titan, we knew Death Ball, we knew Doom, we knew Rise. We knew what they could do. I came in ready. So just watch film. I mean, that's the last thing I could recommend. Watch the game.
3: <laughs> Maybe you should be a coach.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, uh, there might be positions open 10, 20 years from now when... Uh...
3: <laughs> you need a manager, which would actually be very interesting if some teams start to get team managers.
2: I can. If I they can don't already happening. exist. Yeah, I can definitely see that happening. I mean, um, I don't want to divulge my age, but I'm obviously a lot older than most people, so I'm sure I've got maybe four or five years tops, if that, left. And I wonder, you know, is it going to be really easy to walk away from the dodgeball scene, or am I going to try to figure out some way to kind of still stay involved? And um, at the rate things are growing um, and how much dodgeball has evolved, I would not be surprised if a some kind of team management position is is there or needed as well as a coach. And B, if I'd be willing to even do that because it's uh, it's really fun working with rec league teams and trying to uh, I do not say show them the ropes, but just you know, lending your experience and, and helping them grow. Like that's one of my most rewarding, favorite things to do is, is watching somebody come off the streets, never hold a dodgeball in their life, and then turn into somebody spectacular. It's always fun to be a part of that journey. I know that you may have had just a slight hand in it, so. I could see it happening. Um, so the one of these questions, and, and or one of the questions I wanted to ask, um, and, and this is I think mostly aimed at at Lucas, was: Were there any events? Uh, actually, just kidding. That's the wrong one. Um, I was going to ask: Is there anything that you would have done differently for this tournament? Uh, kind of bringing it back to the classic.
0: Yeah, um, I think this year we were running late. And so I think a lot of my takeaway from this year is um, strategies to kind of keep us on time or save time. Um, so I think some of those that I was thinking about over the last 48 hours, um, would, I think we're, we're ready to jump to like using uh, software to track the round robin stats. So I know that um, I know that uh, Jake and Nick Factorin are always on a laptop at their events. And I uh, I think some of them use like Challenge or like Smash GG. I know um, there's a lot of different softwares out there, so I'm gonna look into that between now and next year. Um, I think that'll speed up the seeding process so that the seeds are ready as soon as the round robin is done. I think some of the other things I was thinking about was potentially shortening the knockout round matches because it is a best of five, best of currently it's a best of five double elimination I might
2: That's generous.
0: consider moving that to a best of three double elimination and then keep the finals best of five with like a winner uh, winner's bracket advantage um, I think another alternative to that which um, would I think definitely be in the spirit of the classic would be um, adding in like the no block um, at, you know, the 12-minute mark or at the 10-minute mark, kind of the way that Sin City does. And and uh, I think that that would kind of vie with the, the identity of the classic. What do you guys think, Alan and Britt? Britt, your thoughts?
3: Um, well, I definitely like when, if you need to uh, speed up play to, say what you guys do in the Seattle um, street dodgeball, you make the courts smaller. Uh, I Mm. think that could make things really interesting too. Because no block is really hard to transition. If you told me to no block, I would block and I'd be out. It's just what (laughs) would happen, you know? But if you squeeze the courts and, you know, make it so that somebody who's always gonna drop catch is maybe gonna be in a lot of trouble, but give me the opportunity to make my throw a lot more dangerous, I'd be down for that.
1: See that? That's awesome. I like um, I like the idea of cutting the losers bracket down to best of three, not necessarily the winners, um, but also I mean this is the Seattle Classic. It's become really competitive, but with us drawing teams to an area where some of the I mean most of the players who play in the Classic over half are going to elite. They're not traveling to Sin City. They're this is probably their only opportunity in the year if not maybe ever some of them might only come to this event once to play people from you know task force to play people from SDL and BDL or the people in Seattle who don't travel this is probably those people's only chance to play when uh, Fury and Pion came or Dildones and had Nate and Alex Alvarez like so the spirit of the classic for me I think that I would say I, I would almost go back to the single elimination make the bracket just a quick and sweet winner at the end and get as much round robin, get every team playing every team in round robin so you don't end up leaving without a chance to play that player that you've heard all that much about and you know never played before and now you, ha- you were at a tournament with them and you never got to play against them yeah
0: I really like that idea and um, yeah I I, I guess like for a word to everyone out there, I definitely, I throw my experimental ideas at Alan because he's so highly critical that he I know that he will kind of like puzzle break any idea I have and uh, spit it back to me with some good feedback so um, I, I like that idea a lot. Um, though single elimination is just so uh, sudden and immediate It's so taboo final. now. It'll, I mean elite is
1: made it taboo. Everything we used to do was single elimination recent time never did double the classic was never double Um, when was anything ever double until Elite made it the standard but the difference is we try to cram in fives and sevens and they do everything threes so honestly I would say best of fives all the way is probably about the same amount of games as best of threes double I mean maybe it's one or two Mm -hmm. more games every two or three matches but it's not that big a difference really and then you you cut out the time of changing adding extra brackets filling out the bottom end it sucks maybe for those teams at the lower end who only got to play one game and they were out in the bracket but if you give them the chance to play everyone in round robin then i think you're i think you're easing some of that pain
0: yeah yeah um i think another kind of going to back to the initial prompt of things we would do differently um there was a couple things I wanted to try this year I wanted to build a championship court and um what we our plan was for like the quarterfinals and semifinals we were going to schedule all the matches on one side of the gym and simultaneously we were going to build kind of this spectator friendly dodgeball court like in the center of the other basketball court and we were going to like put Two back nets behind the end lines, and then bring the bleachers in on all sides and kind of try to make this like really intimate, almost like Madison Square Garden setting. And with the time restrictions and just everything that was happening, we scrapped it last minute. But that is something that I really want to get in there because I think the classic, more than most tournaments, traditionally has been a tournament where people stay till the end and really like celebrate the champions. And um, I want I want that to be part of part of the event. I want people to get excited about those final matches, um, about doing the joust finals right before the championship. I want I want that. I want people to stick around and like almost fight to get a good seat for that stuff. And uh, I think that's going to be a priority for me next year. Nice. I don't think you can go wrong with that. That's a great great idea to me.
2: Awesome. Um. So one of the questions I wanted to ask, and I made this comment, I guess, early on before it got out of control, um, shout outs. So there's a Facebook shout out post or thread going on. And I was like, I'm going to literally read all of these until I saw that there's just way more than I could possibly cover. <laughs> so I'm going to kind of lean on you guys um, and Britt, maybe you can go first. Are there any people in particular you just want to shout out that may not have received it yet, whether they helped with the tournament or just were just awesome in general? Um, I think I saw somebody like washing the balls, is that?
3: Oh yeah. Oh, so? that was really interesting. Um, I'm still not very sure what happened, but the balls were perfect. They were squishy, but also like, just still had a lot of zing and hadn't lost their shape or anything. They were just great new balls. And I had Bill Fisher, I think stuck them in the dryer um, and did really magical things to them. And I appreciated it. Sometimes balls are just too heavy and too hard and not really, Pliable on, you know, these fingers that are now probably arthritic. Um, I also think uh, it's not, we didn't talk about it, but there's also a cookout that goes on during Joust. Uh, some of the Joust guys don't really get to appreciate it, but, you know, it's a it's a, it's a a great cookout and there's even vegan friendly options. Nice. Uh, I partook and enjoyed uh, beverages and a <laughs> hot dog. So I think the people who are involved in the cookout need their shout out. Um, I want to say farm was involved uh lucas if you could help me out with other people who were part of the cookout
0: yeah yeah every year we have like a potluck going in the parking lot where um there's a barbecue grill and that starts up around 11 a.m and it just goes the whole day and uh usually usually when there's missing players you know where to find them they're out at the the barbecue and there's and i always ask them i'm like can you guys move the barbecue closer to the gym so we can you know like yell and be in earshot and uh they're like you know there's there's too many um, adult beverages uh being made for us to be close to the gym so they they keep their distance but it's awesome and i think between the knockout and the round robin there was like 50 people out there just hanging out and I, I went Where'd out there know? at one point and I was like all right guys we gotta we gotta go back to the Dodge Roll. It was, it was awesome but it was yeah' and Robert, Robert, Robert mode were yeah, out yeah there yeah rotten Rob is one of our foam dodgers and he grilled like for eight hours
2: dang that's awesome yeah.
1: it was uh it's always intense that that's been a great part of the classic every year you have a hot dog in the middle and then you come back and you're <laughs> bloated <laughs> 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 alan do you have any shout outs you want to give um i'd, I'd give a shout out to uh the the roy bits minus roy um and that that's one of the younger teams that brit mentioned some people from dono who are playing with them now um and just i mean to play without your captain they just played together in elite the week before um they picked up dan lincoln i believe to play with them and uh, Don Leanne traveled up from from Arizona to play with them, and just they put up a, a heck of a fight in the round robin. I, I ref the first match of it with them against Dano, and it went to five, and it was just back and forth. Every player made a play, uh, and so that, that was a lot of fun. Um, I'd give a shout-out to them for sure. Uh, a shout-out, I mean, you made this thread right before that kind of we need help with all of this thread. And then you had this, the eight or 10 different things you kind of needed people to help with throughout the day. So, I mean, huge shout out to just that kind of community organization. And that's what Seattle is. I mean, there's no one in the country, no group of dodgeball that I've witnessed that can, that can just assign out some tasks and say, here's what we need people to do. And you, you have someone proficient and that, that fits their skill set, and they'll step into that and help, whether it's the front desk registration with Jeremy and Andrea or you know, setting stuff up with uh, Travis and Keith and some of your other folks there, just all over the place. Uh, <clears throat> excellent.
2: Nice. I did want to say, uh, Steve Drought, Steve Drought. Yeah, he said, uh, shout out to the honesty from the competition. People call themselves out more often without designated refs than the other way around, in my experience. So that's always an awesome thing that that takes place. It just adds to the awesomeness of the event. Um, that's I'm kind of just like going through some of these shout outs but uh, do you guys have any others um, that's just a ton
0: yeah I wanted to uh, I, I, I always make a point of it to um, do a big thank you post so all those people know that I'm forever in debt to them and I will uh, you know I'll be there for them whenever they need help but um there's there's a couple other people i wanted to shout out i wanted to shout out um my teammate philip hughes who had never played Robert dodgeball before but um the you know the night before the tournament i was just i realized my back was in such bad shape that we needed help we needed someone who could stand in and phil is a new player who's been playing foam and he played in our competitive foam league and he's just a great team player, he's really aware, he's he's only played for two seasons but I see awesome things for Phil in the future and so I was really excited to invite him to join our team and um, it was a lot, it was a lot for him to like jump in and play on one of the most competitive teams where I demand a lot from our teammates but um, he made the most of it and he... <laughs> He got in trouble with his uh, wife for staying late because the tournament ran so late. But uh, he cashed in some of his relationship points to stay late with us. And so yeah, I really thank him for that. And uh, it was
1: awesome playing with them. I guess an un-shout out to Peter, who thought the March Madness was more important.
2: <laughs> Unshoutout, no. <laughs> <laughs> also, oh. shout out to
3: uh, Chicago Task Force for coming down and let me play with them. But also, uh, there was an engagement that happened with Chicago Task Force yeah. um, right after the Seattle ca- Classic. So, congrats to Brett and uh, Hannah.
2: Nice.
0: Yeah, yeah. That, That's that was that, that. might be a first ever at the Classic. <laughs> mm-hmm. But. Uh, um, I want to give a shout out to everyone who came out to the after party. That It's becoming one of my favorite parts of the classic. We take over this small saloon, and um, it's a great opportunity to just mix and uh, share stories. And um, it was great getting to meet the task force guides in person and uh, hear their dodgeball stories and kind of share that and, and just have that relationship
2: forever. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's very cool, and I'm sure uh, there isn't an event out there like this, but I'll ask anyway, is there anything like this, or is this just like a one-time deal, you better be ready uh, in next year for March because it's going to sell fast, or are there any other competitions that happen that might have as much appeal or similar appeal a- as this event? And uh, Lucas, this might be more for you.
0: Yeah, Steve, are you thinking like Northwest events or just any nationally that I've experienced that are similar?
2: Uh, I think nationally uh, for for people that are are down to travel and, and maybe you know they can travel <laughs> freely, but they they want to try something else too. So
0: yeah, I, I think everyone needs to go to Sin City. Um, I think that was really the first event that I went to that um, had that blend of of uh, community and competition. Um, the first year I went by myself and I played on a, a team of elite ringers and we kicked shame. Um, there was just so much uh, love and <laughs> uh, I think I walked to the door and I get just slapped on the shame head, and I turn around and it's Ish Blanco and I don't think Ish and I had ever <laughs> spoken to each other but like I knew right then that like This was a place where everyone was welcomed, and if you loved dodgeball, you were going to be having a good time. So I wholeheartedly recommend um, Sin City for anyone who hasn't been. Um, Another event that I want to recommend is the Vancouver Dodgeball Tournament of Champions. they do this annually and it's they it's kind of the best teams from a lot of leagues in canada and they play 8.25 foam and it is bad shame there i think last year there was like 45 teams in the competitive bracket and maybe like 16 teams in the rec bracket um and and it it, they they are well oiled machine they they run a tight ship up there i think their leagues their leagues are close to like 1,500 players. It is insane. And um, the dodgeball is super fast-paced. It's uh, It was so much fun. So th- those are my favorite um, events, Sin City and the TOC. And uh, I would, I'm would i going back to the TOC, and I'm trying my best to get some elite players from the States to go up there too.
2: Nice. I'll keep yeah, that in mind. I,
0: I, if, yeah, oh, that fine. would have been the exact two tournaments
1: I would have brought up. Nice. I've not been to TOC, I plan to go this year, but from everything I saw, he's exactly right to mention it, alongside the, the likes of, you know, the legendary Sin City, and in our hearts, the legendary Classic, so absolutely.
2: Awesome. How about you, Bred Any others, or do you kind of echo what they are saying?
3: I'm still, you know, feeling like maybe I'm a bit new, and the Seattle Classic is my highlight, but I definitely want to add some more tournaments to... Um, um, a toolbox so that I can get to know more people, and I feel like I'm going to be in a position to start doing that pretty soon. Nice. Uh, actually, you know, I've done trampoline dodgeball just for fun, and I really would be interested in trying it out ultimate style. UDC. Well, that
2: would be
1: fun. Women's uh, UDC is coming this year, so.
2: It's a thing now.
1: Make sure yeah. that it's known that you want to play, and I bet you'll get to.
2: It's <laughs> swooped up right away. Awesome. Um, well, all right. well before we go ahead and, and, and close, uh, just want to go round table real quick. Any final uh, thoughts or last minute um, I can say alibis, but yeah, just final thoughts, and we'll, we'll go ahead and start with uh, Alan.
1: Um, no, I mean, I, I appreciate the opportunity to do this. I think that this is something that Dodgeball, that's not only great for the community, but podcasts are like this huge thing in our world right now. And so it's a great way to tie dodgeball into things that, uh, you know, everyone is a part of their day-to-day lives now. So uh, the Classic is an amazing tournament. Um, Seattle and Lucas works really hard to put it together. Uh, Bill, it needs to be mentioned as well. Uh, Mark Acombe, you need to get in touch with Bill and figure out what he does to those balls so that our balls at the elite rounds are like like that. If you need a dryer in Portland to do that, I'd be happy to help. Um, but they're just, I mean, they feel like they're already played, but that they're not worn, which you don't want them to be, you know, flat and have no, uh, none of the texture on them, but you want them to be just a little more squishy and not the crappy kind of uneven rubber that a lot of times those balls come with. And this really helps with that.
2: For sure. Uh, How about you, Britt?
3: Um, I think, you know, if you check out the Seattle Classic website or, you know, the Facebook page, it's very apparent that it's a great, you know, marketed product. It's very beautiful what they put together. And I think what draws me to it so much is that it seems like it's for really anyone who enjoys dodgeball, not just people who are super competitive. And, you know, that's, that's a really important thing to um, have, especially when, you know, you want to attract, uh, you know, a diverse group of people. So um, you know, when you come here, you're gonna have fun, and you're gonna get a lot out of it because they really put a lot into it. Nice.
2: Yeah, I know. Like I said, I mean, I played five years ago, and it still was one of one of the better, more fun, engaging tournaments that I participated in. So I definitely like what um, Saddles up to, and I would love to play in some open open gym out there one of these days if I ever make it back out there. And last but not least, uh, Lucas. Any final thoughts? Alan's dying over there. Yeah. (laughs) um, (laughs) Yeah.
0: The classic has been, uh, I guess, kind of a staple in my dodgeball life, and um, it's it's kind of an honor to like carry the baton for um, for this time period. And uh, I guess I'm I'm trying to make sure that um, the culture and Everything is intact, so that when I am uh, when I'm spent, I can pass the baton on, and the uh, the tradition is going to continue, and it's going to continue to be an awesome thing that people can share and come together and have a great time, and uh, and uh, yeah, I, I think the Seattle dodgeball scene is a special thing, and I think the classic is. Uh, is um, our way of sharing what we have here with everyone who travels and wants to be a part of that. And uh, anyone who's on the fence, uh, just get in touch with me and uh, let me know you're interested, and we'll make it happen in the future.
2: Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Cool. Well, we'll go ahead and uh, end it there. Alrighty. righty, so there you have a recap of the eighth annual Seattle Classic tournament that took place this past weekend and what fun that was for me personally to get to live it through the multiple perspectives of of alan brett and lucas guys thank you again so much for helping me recap what took place uh I'm, i'm just i'm very honored that um you know you guys would take the time to help me provide a thorough review of everything so thank you so much for helping source questions asking each other questions that was awesome and thank you so much just again for for being willing to uh to shed some insight on 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 everything um especially since i wasn't there um it sounds like a lot has evolved since i last played with uh beaver damnation in 2013 and while i miss this one i'm definitely bummed but i'm more excited to uh make sure i make it to uh, 2019 so I'll, I'll be ready once that uh once that announcement is dropped trust me uh before i sign off if you are listening to this podcast and you have not heard the lucas episode with uh, the book of dodgeball with david tates um first off you're you're wrong and secondly you can you can make this wrong right by giving it a listen um so check it out. I highly, highly recommend it. It is a great dive into the mind of one of Dodgeball's, um, I want to say rising stars, but it sounds like he's been pretty established for a while. So definitely uh, check it out. It's, it's, I found it incredibly motivating and inspiring to continue producing content for the Dodgeball scene and just staying involved. It is, such, it is truly a gift that keeps on giving, and that has proven time and again for me over and over, um, event after event and episode after episode. And as always, your feedback, suggestion, questions and comments and whatnot, all that good stuff is always welcome. And um, I look forward to it. It just, again, makes this podcast better and better. Um, But until the next episode drops, have a great weekend, and we'll see you next time. It's the it's the nope card. You're like, nope. I will do what I wish. Um,
1: yep, exactly. <laughs> you had a plan, and he's like, nope.
2: <laughs> yep. He's like, mm, not gonna do it. Sorry, Steve. Yeah, it's all good, man. Um, <laughs> it's not that bad, so don't worry about it. It'll just be funny because um, we'll all know. Like, we're it's all eyeballing. Sleeping. I think. Uh, I think every time you swore, like, Alan just looked at me like, mm, I got him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> just see if I'm gonna react. <laughs>